This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Happy New Year, Professor Gershon. Happy New Year, Liz. Good morning. And, uh, you know, we're always honored to have uh, Professor Debbie Bell on the show. Um, Debbie, I'm, I'm going to brag about her for a second because she won't brag about herself. But not only did she literally write the book on family law, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Bell on family law has been uh, used by the courts in the state uh, for a long time, and uh, it's it's considered the reference book. Uh, but also, um, she started our pro bono initiative here, which has done such great work for the people of Mississippi. Thousands of hours given by our students under that program that she started. She served as um, interim dean of the law school for two years, and and as her, her time, she was just a, a great colleague, and uh, so it's always good to to welcome Debbie to the show. And Debbie, how did, how did you become interested in family law? Well, Richard, thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. And I love being on this show and talking to you guys about family law and hearing from your listeners. So I actually was a housing law and property law professor for about the first third of my teaching career and then started the clinical programs. And in 1996, we got a small grant in the clinical programs to do a domestic violence clinic. And that was my first exposure to family law other than taking it in law school. And I just became fascinated with family law. And I think I had planned to be a social worker before I decided to be a lawyer. And I think maybe it just called to the social worker in me, but I, I love doing law that intersects with people at their most, at the most personal level, at, at the things that are most important to them. And so I asked to start teaching family law, and that's been my primary area ever since. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the clinics, too, because you started the clinics and kept that, the clinic program together, and now we have a very robust, I think we have one of the best clinical uh, legal education programs in the country uh, with lots of different options, and that really started with you. So we we appreciate you very much, and uh, we're glad to have you on the show. So can we, we're going to talk about um, children and divorce today. And, uh, you know, how did how have things changed in Mississippi? What did they what did uh, child support and custody look like 40 years ago? Well, so first of all, it's not just Mississippi, the in the entire country, family law looks completely different than it did 40 years ago. And so just to trace some of those changes to explain where we are now, first of all, it's a little bit hard to believe now, those of you who are under 45, but 45 years ago, you couldn't just get divorced. We were in a system called the fault-based divorce system, and you couldn't get divorced unless you had serious grounds. This was right about the time of the no-fault divorce revolution. So there weren't many divorces. So there wasn't much court oversight of custody of children because there weren't many divorces. As far as non-marital children, there were so many fewer non-marital children 
and 45 years ago, they weren't given the same rights. So there wasn't that much court oversight of non-marital children, which is to say family law was kind of a backwater. There, there just weren't a lot of cases. Now, with the adoption of no-fault divorce in most states, um, all but two, and with the sort of explosion in non-marital children, courts are involved in custody and child support for the vast majority of children in this country. So the, one of the biggest changes is a demographic change, and that is just the importance of family law to how our society operates that was not true 45 years ago in terms of scope. And as you get more and more cases, you get more state involvement and you get more federal involvement. So there's a lot more law and there's a lot more uniformity. With custody, 40 years ago, basically women got custody. Custody was governed by something called the maternal preference rule, which meant there was an assumption that mothers were the best guardians of children. And really what a divorce lawyer would say to a father in a divorce is, look, unless you can prove she's had affairs or she's got a substance abuse problem or she deserted the family, you're not gonna get custody, she is. So that was the, the rule in custody, women got custody. And with child support, it was kind of oh, whatever the judge thinks is an appropriate amount of child support. There weren't any formulas like we're familiar with today. There was no real guidance except based on the children's needs and the payor's ability. And as you can imagine, one judge might think $100 was sufficient for a child and all that a, a father could pay. And another judge might think $700 was enough. That was in 40 years ago terms. So that's sort of the framework for where we were in custody and support matters. It was not really on people's radar because there were so, so few cases. Women got custody and men typically paid whatever the court ordered them to pay for child support. This morning, we're talking about the rights we are given by the law concerning custody and visitation with children during divorce. You can email us your questions, legal terms at mpbonline.org. We're here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law in Richard's dining room, and uh, Professor Debbie Bell from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Richard, I'm sorry, she would win the Room Raider Twitter five stars. She's got a great perspective of some books behind her and a lamp and a cozy chair. She uh, she would uh, get the, the stars for a Room Raider for our Zoom call, the way we're filming, the way we're recording our show uh, during the pandemic, and I think uh, from here on out. Out, Richard, I think so. This is this has worked really well, and, and actually, Debbie and I were talking about this before the show started. That it makes it so much easier for the guests to be on by Zoom. So there've been some, not many positives from the pandemic, but one of the positives I think we've all uh, adopted or adapted this uh, to this uh, technology. But um, well, Debbie, let's let's talk a little bit. I know that uh, society has changed um, certainly, and and on the tax side, you know, we, we looked at the uh, the marital. Um, rates for the, you know, the filing, uh, married filing jointly rates were created in 19, the 1950s, uh, really as a response to community property law. And uh, the idea was there'll be way, one wage earner and one person will stay home 
and and so we're going to give a break to this this marital unit and that that really hasn't worked that way have we seen the same kinds of social change impacts on child support and custody and the way we think about that we have so let's talk about custody first um really starting in the 60s women started going i mean it actually started after world war ii but in greater numbers in the 60s as women started going back into the workplace more men became more involved in child care and divorce in the 70s then opened up the question of who is going to have custody and so courts began looking at changing this maternal preference and starting in the 70s courts gradually began to move toward a rule of parental equality. Mississippi did that in 1983. There was a case called Albright versus Albright, which any family lawyer will tell you is sort of the the touchstone for determining custody. And in that case, the Mississippi Supreme Court said, we're no longer going to follow the maternal preference. Instead, there is a presumption that parents are equally entitled to custody. And we're going to look at these factors, like who's been the primary caregiver, who's the child bonded more closely to, who's has the more stable home environment, and award custody. Now, did that mean that judges' preference for custody in a mother immediately changed? No. It took decades, I think, for that to become a reality in practice. And often women are still granted custody because they have been the primary caregiver for children, which is one of the most important factors. But you see more and more men awarded custody, even of very young children, uh, two and three year old girls. So that has truly changed to a presumption that the parent who is better suited to be the custodian will get custody. So So this is kind of exponential. The number of cases have increased because of the number of divorces and the number of non-marital children. As this rule was announced, it makes it more likely that men will litigate custody because previously their lawyer would say to them, you don't have a prayer, you're going to lose under the maternal preference. And now their lawyer may say, yeah, you've got a good chance on this case. So the family law cases are the largest number of reported civil cases in Mississippi, not criminal, but civil. And of those family law cases, custody disputes are the largest number that are making it to our appellate courts. And so that, you- that's been an enormous change in custody law. And the other one, I'll just throw this out and then uh, if you see if you have a question. The other thing is that 40 years ago, sole custody was the way custody was awarded. You, one parent got custody, the other got fairly limited visitation. In the 80s, um, commentators and um, advocates for children began pushing for joint custody, which is shared custody between parents. And over time, we've seen that become much more of a reality to the point that in some states, there's actually a preference for joint custody. Now, when you say uh, appellate court custody, does that mean appeals that a lot of um, times the custody decision is appealed by one partner? Yes. So um, the the chancery courts in Mississippi are the courts that will try 
divorce or custody cases. If, let's say, the judge decides to give custody to the father, the mother can then appeal to the Court of Appeals or the Mississippi Supreme Court. So those are the reported cases. That's what our case law is based on. Is So I'm talking about those appeals. And in that segment of cases, the appealed civil cases, family law cases are the largest number of cases and custody the largest of family law. And you've talked a lot about Mississippi, but how does our 50th fit into the United States of America? With regard to custody, we're pretty similar to other states. Most states move from the maternal preference to a preference of parental equality. Most states use a factor-based process to determine which parent will be the best custodian for the children. Where we may be a little out of step right now is in the amount of visitation that we give the non-custodial parent. So in Mississippi, there's something we call standard visitation. For the, let's say the mother gets custody, the father gets visitation. Typically, a chancellor in Mississippi is going to award every other weekend from Friday afternoon to Sunday afternoon, alternating holidays, one week at Christmas and four to six weeks in the summer for the non-custodial parent. There was a study that came out in the last few years that rated the amount of visitation that um, states give the non-custodial parent, and we were toward the bottom of that. Most states give the non-custodial parent more time than that. And I'm actually seeing and talking to chancellors that there are some chancellors who are saying, I'm giving more than the standard visitation. And interestingly, in about, about, oh gosh, it was last year, I think, there was a court of appeals opinion on custody that came out and four judges in a concurrence, so this was not the majority opinion, they're just saying this is their opinion, said they think that Mississippi should follow a presumption in favor of joint custody if both parents are fit parents. So that's an interesting indication from the court that's deciding most of our um, our custody cases. You can send us your email questions to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing child custody and visitation during divorce with Professor Deborah Bell. So get your pencils ready, folks. It's a new year, and we're going to give out some information next where you can get legal assistance since MPB can only explain the law. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is in legal terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you've missed any of this program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Now, if you're looking for free legal resources for your situation, because here at In Legal Terms, we can tell you what the law is, but we can't give you advice. The Mississippi Bar Association's website suggests, now I'm going to give out a lot of numbers right now, then I'll give them out during each of the breaks. The American Civil Liberties Union of Mississippi, their phone number is 601-354-3408. Catholic Charities Legal Assistance Clinic, their phone number is 601 601- The Choctaw Legal Defense number is 601-650-7487. The Gulf Coast Women's Center for Nonviolence and Northcutt Legal Clinic, their number is 1-228-864. 7144. Their crisis line is 1 800 800 1396. Their Pine Belt office is 601 705 0139. I'll have some additional numbers for other organizations later in the show, and this information will all be on our podcast and our website. This morning, we're talking about child custody and visitation during divorce with Professor Debbie Bell. Debbie Bell, it's so great to have you on the show. In fact, um, you know, we, you were on uh, the commission studying uh, the changes to family law. We had Judge Odom on in November. He did a great job uh, talking about that. He chaired that committee. That was and, a great job. Uh, and, and, um, and, you know, uh, children are a big part of the whole divorce picture, so I'm really glad we're talking about this today. But, you know, one of the things, uh, what happens when somebody relocates uh, a child? You know, let's say a parent gets uh, primary responsibility over the child and they want to move out of state, which happens. So this actually, in addition to the amount of visitation, is one of those areas where Mississippi is different from other states. So once a court has awarded custody to one parent, then stability becomes really important. So you don't just switch custody back and forth. For the parent who is the non-custodial parent, for them to get custody after the court has ordered it away from the other parent, you have to show something really serious, like a material change in circumstances that has a negative impact on the child. And in a lot of states, let's say, again, the, the court awards custody to the mother. And the the mother and father live in Oxford, Mississippi. They both live close to each other. The child can go back and forth easily. And the mother decides to move to Florida. 
in most states, the mother's move to Florida is going to be considered a material change in circumstances that's potentially adverse because it's moving the child away from the other parent. Now, that doesn't mean the father just gets custody, but it means the case would go back to court to determine whether it was in the child's best interest to go with the mother to Florida or to stay with the father. And anyway, so that's a broad picture of what other states may do. In Mississippi, the custodial parent's relocation is not considered a material change in circumstances. In fact, there's a case that says that the fact that it separates a child and their other parent is irrelevant. It uses the, the word irrelevant. Now, I don't think anybody really thinks it's irrelevant to separate a parent and child, but the rule is that the custodial parent can move, and unless there is something other than the move that's considered negative or adverse, you don't change custody. I personally have always thought that the better rule is that if one custodial parent is moving a long way away, it should go back to the court to reassess custody. Even if the custodial parent is given some preference because of continuity of care, that the court should at least look again at it. But that is not the rule in Mississippi right now. So interesting. I know uh, a lot of states uh, have mandatory mediation, too, because, you know, the court system, the, the chancery courts deal with family law cases, they deal with probate, they deal with other other issues, and it's, it can be expensive to go to court as well. So do we require any mediation in Mississippi? We don't. We recognize mediation, but we don't make it mandatory. I, by the way, I'm a big proponent of mediation. I got trained probably 25 years ago as a mediator in family law disputes. And what I've seen is that it can really help make the difference between parents' ability to co-parent in the future or the continuation of a fight between them. The litigation between parents does nothing but drive them farther apart and make it more difficult for them to work together. So I highly recommend that if you have parents divorcing, they try mediation to work out a solution between themselves with the assistance of a mediator before they go to court. A number of states now, Florida, North Carolina, are two that I'm very familiar with, require that if a divorcing couple have children, they go through mediation to try to resolve it in that, in that manner. Uh, but at this point, Mississippi does not have that. I know there are a lot of judges, though, who really encourage parents to try mediation. And just quickly, I, so for the listeners who don't really understand what media, how, how, how does mediation really work then? Is it- so, so mediation is a process in which somebody who is trained in dispute resolution serves as the mediator. It's not like an arbitration. In an arbitration, the arbitrator has the ability to decide the case um, for the parties. The mediator is there just as a third-party neutral to help the parties see how they can resolve it. Sometimes even in family law, even the client's own lawyers get so entrenched in their positions that they can't see to get to a resolution. So with a mediation, the lawyers will, in in some states it's without lawyers, but in Mississippi, my experience has been custody mediations are with the lawyers there. 
So the lawyers will talk to their clients about whether they would like to spend a day in mediation trying to resolve the custody, property division, alimony disputes. They'll then contact a mediator, reserve a date, and then all of those parties will come together. Typically, the mediator will have one room that's a conference room where everybody can meet together, have one room for the one spouse and their attorney, another room for the other spouse and their attorney. And my mediation practice, I spend a lot of time talking to the individual um, spouses and their attorneys, trying to understand what they want to accomplish, what their concerns are, what their fears are, and going back and forth. And then sometimes you may pull everybody together. But I have seen it to be incredibly effective in bringing people in who, where both of them are insisting that they have sole custody. And at the end of the day, you've worked out some arrangement where they either have joint custody with the mother having 60% of time and the father 40% of time, or some other creative arrangement that's not just either or. It's not either sole custody in the mother or sole custody in the father. That's great. And and if the parties don't agree, then the mediation is not binding. It's confidential. Uh, The mediator can't talk about what happened in the mediation, and you go forward with litigation. But usually, even if the mediation doesn't resolve, I think most lawyers and clients find that it's clarified some issues for them and that it, it is helpful in going on to litigation. Or a lot of times I have lawyers call me if the mediation didn't resolve and say, we worked it out two days later on pretty much the terms where we were at the end of the mediation. So that, that's how it works. It's a pretty fluid and informal process. Email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking about child custody and visitation during a divorce with Professor Deborah Bell from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Now keep those pencils handy. I'm going to give out some additional free legal resources and their phone numbers next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. (laughs) 
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you subscribe to our podcast or find MPB Think Radio recordings at our at the website for the station, mpbonline.org slash radio. This morning, we are talking about child custody and visitation during divorce with our guest, University of Mississippi School Law Professor Deborah Bell. Now, if you do need free legal assistance in Mississippi, the Mississippi Bar Association website suggests Mission First Legal Aid Office, 601-608-0056, Mississippi Center for Legal Services, 1-800-498-1804. Mississippi College School of Law Clinical Programs, 601-925-7180. Professor Gershing did a good job getting Debbie Bell on our show because she can represent both Mississippi College and the University of uh, Mississippi. Sometimes with the, the two law schools, we get, we were told we have uh, favoritism, but uh, uh, Mississippi College is where Professor Bell did her undergraduate. Now we have a phone call now from Jackson. Tam is on the line. Tam, we're glad that you've called in today. What's your comment or question about child custody law? Tam, are you there? Uh, yes. Great. Go ahead. Um, I was wondering why a judge would order a guardian ad litem. Okay. Um, that's a, a great question. Thank you for bringing up that issue. So a guardian ad litem is someone who represents the best interest of a child. You know, it's interesting if you think about this, that in a a custody action, the best interest of the child is the standard that governs the custody action, but the parents are represented and the child themselves is not represented. So in some cases, when a judge thinks it would be helpful or at the request of one of the parties, when the judge thinks it would be helpful, the court will appoint a guardian ad litem who is an attorney who's there to represent the best interest of the child. Now there's some circumstances when statutes require that a judge appoint a guardian ad litem. And that's when there is a possibility of abuse or neglect. Also in termination of parental rights proceedings and some other, but within custody, it's when there is a an allegation of abuse or neglect that the judge thinks could possibly be proved. But judges aren't limited to that. There are other cases where there's not an issue of abuse or neglect. It may just be a hotly contested case. It may be a case that um, where the child has some special needs, special issue that a guardian would be helpful for. And the judge there has discretion to point a guardian ad litem simply because the judge believes that would be helpful to them in deciding the case. And the guardian then will investigate the case, interview teachers, friends, family, and uh, make a report to the court. Tam, did that answer your question? Yes. Who pays the guardian ad litem? It varies. Um, the 
the court can order payment of the guardian ad litem uh, by either party. And in some cases, there are guardians ad litem and at the University of Mississippi and Mississippi College. And thank you, Liz, for noting that I have, have ties to both schools. I, I had a great experience at Mississippi College as well as at Ole Miss. Um, both of the law schools have programs in which students assist guardians ad litem in representing children so that there's no charge to the parents, typically, if the parents can't afford it. But um, it's, it's up to the judge's discretion otherwise. Okay, thank you. Thank Certainly. you, Tim. We appreciate you calling in. Well, that's a, it's a great question, and uh, but it also leads into a question that we have in, in terms of custody, and that is you mentioned abuse situations and domestic violence situations. What, what happens in terms of custody where there, where there is domestic violence involved? I am so glad you asked that. This is um, an area in which I started to say there's been a recent change. It's amazing as you get older what recent looks like. <laughs> this was in 2003, actually. Um, there, Mississippi has a statute now as since 2003 <clears throat> that creates a presumption that custody should not go to a parent who has a history of family violence. Let me explain a little of the background here. Um, we were seeing in the 1990s, uh, this was when we had the domestic violence clinic, that there were cases when, let's say, a father was physically abusive to the mother, but he was not abusive toward the children in any, in, in any physical way. And in some cases, the father would get custody because the court would say, well, he's not abusing the children and abuse of his spouse is not a factor under Albright to consider. And the mother was in a shelter. She didn't have employment. She didn't have a place to live. And the father had a, a good job and he was still in the marital home because the mother had fled the violence and the father would get custody. And so um, there was a, a move to look at what other states were doing. And what we discovered was that in other states, there was a presumption that a parent with a history of family violence should not get custody unless that presumption was overcome by other evidence. And I think that was part of recognizing that violence in the home affects children, whether the violence strikes them physically or not. So now, if a husband had been abusive toward his wife, and it, it an abuse under this statute requires either of two things, either it either requires a one serious incident that caused serious physical damage or a pattern of violence. So this is not somebody shoves somebody one time. This is a pattern and history of violence. If the mother or father can show that, then there's a presumption that the father should not have custody. And you don't even go to this factor-based analysis. The mother just gets custody unless the father can overcome that presumption. And so that, that was, I think, a very important change in Mississippi law. If I have time to talk about this now, there was an, one interesting development, though I don't think anyone expected, and that is there have been at least two reported cases in which grandparents got custody of grandchildren away from a married husband and wife because there was an abusive relationship and they were staying together. That is, the, the survivor of violence would not leave the relationship. So an example, in one of them, the woman was the abuser. 
So there was a woman who was physically and mentally abusive to her husband. And there was a 10-year-old girl who was clearly struggling as a result. Her grandparents filed an action to get custody away from the couple, alleging that the father had, I'm sorry, the mother had a history of family violence. And if you left the children in that intact marriage, you were, you were leaving her with the perpetrator. And so they got custody. And there have been two cases like that. There was sort of, I think, a, an unexpected consequence of that statute. You know, it, it seems like physical abuse seems easier to prove than emotional abuse. You mentioned uh, either you know, physical abuse or emotional abuse. How do you prove something like emotional abuse? So here, we're, and I, I may have to, if we take a break, I may have to come back to this. So with emotional abuse, the, the presumption against custody to a parent with a history of family violence applies only to physical violence. But you see this issue come up that you're talking about when you're trying to get a divorce based on abuse, spousal domestic abuse, which is a, a ground for divorce in Mississippi. If there's been physical abuse, that, that's much more straightforward. You can now prove that without having have to have corroborating evidence from anyone else. But the, the issue when you're looking at trying to get a divorce based on emotional abuse or verbal abuse is so difficult. And I, I think most lawyers in this state will tell their clients, if you're trying to prove that your spouse is emotionally, mentally, verbally cruel, I can't predict what the court will do with that evidence. It is just so difficult to know. We're going to take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. I've got a few more phone numbers of organizations that give out free legal advice. That is next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone mpb programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. 
thank you for being part of In Legal Terms today. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our Think Radio YouTube channel. Don't forget to like the show, hit the bell, and subscribe. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most of our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Now, the Mississippi Bar Association has some suggestions for who to call if you need free legal advice. Here at MPB and on In Legal Terms, we can only tell you what the law is. I've given out quite a few phone numbers. I've got a few more. So if you've missed them earlier, go back to that podcast to see those phone numbers. The Mississippi Volunteer Lawyers Project, that phone number is 601-960-9577. Here's a statewide number. It's listed as the North Mississippi Rural Legal Services, but it's also the same number as the uh, Mississippi Center for Legal Services that's statewide, one 800 Four nine eight one eight zero four, and Professor Bell did mention that both of the law schools in the state have clinical programs. The University of Mississippi School of Law's clinical program phone number is six six two nine one five seven four two nine. All of these are on the Mississippi Bar Association's website for pro bono which means free legal assistance, but they can't help everyone. And if you do have the ability to pay, they'll probably suggest you uh, get your own, you provide your own legal services. We're talking with Professor Debbie Bell about child custody and visitation during divorce. We have a phone call. It's from Beaumont. It's Sue. Sue, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Well, I've, I've always had this uh, radical proposition that people should have to have a license to have children. You, you have to have a license to drive. You have to have a license to hunt. You have to have a license to be a hairdresser. You have to have a license for every single thing except having children. Anybody can have children, whether you're legally, morally, financially responsible person or not. And I think it's just terrible just to bring children into the world into a, a big stew pot of mess, you know. <laughs> I think you ought to have, have a license to have children to prove that you're legally sane and, or, or that you have funds to raise a child and not have to have the public to raise a child. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Thank you, Sue. I think I think everybody, whether they are a kid or uh, are, are a parent, they completely understand that. We appreciate you calling in with your humorous suggestion. Well, I... I think maybe Sue is serious. I, you know, I think a lot of people would think that, so we appreciate. I always appreciate Sue's calls. Um, uh, Debbie, we got a, we got an email uh, from someone about a case really involving abuse and a divorce situation. But um, did you want to address that? Yeah. What so, is the difference y- yes, between uh, no fault sta- uh, Mississippi's no fault statute and other statutes? Right. So so we refer to no fault divorce. And there's a statute in Mississippi called the Irreconcilable Differences Divorce. It is often, I think, thought of as a no-fault divorce statute. It is not. 
in Mississippi, there are two ways to get divorced. Under the Irreconcilable Differences statute, the, the spouses can agree to be divorced and they don't have to prove fault. But if one of them wants a divorce and the other one does not agree, the one who wants the divorce has to be able to prove fault, adultery, desertion, imprisonment, or cruelty. If they don't have a ground for divorce, if they just are not happy in their marriage and not fulfilled and want to move on, but they don't have a ground for divorce and their spouse doesn't agree, they cannot get divorced. And at one time, that was true of all the states in this country. Now, there are only two states, Mississippi and South Dakota, that I have been able to find that have that rule. In all other states, someone who wants to get divorced, even if their spouse doesn't agree, can ultimately get divorced without agreement or without proving a ground. Now, in some of those states, uh, I think Louisiana is an example, you have to stay separated and apart. Um, some states for one year, I think the longest period of time is three years. But at the end of that time period, if your spouse doesn't agree, you can get a divorce. So Mississippi is very much out of sync with the rest of the country, except for South Dakota, on this rule. I wanted to add that the, um, the legislature last year asked for the appointment of a family law task force to study and make recommendations to the legislature for changes in Mississippi law. I was lucky enough to be able to serve on that task force. The report of the task force was submitted on December 1st, and the primary number one recommendation of this broad-based task force was that the legislature adopt no-fault divorce and, and abolish the system we have that keeps people locked in a marriage against their will. So stay tuned for that. We will, um, I guess, find out this spring what the legislature does with that proposal. Well, that would be a really positive change. And uh, Judge Odom uh, talked about that in uh, late 2021 as he was uh, co-chairing that, uh, that task force. And um, it really is a, it'll be an important change. Um, and let's, let's keep talking about custody and the little bit of time that we have left for just a minute. And let's talk about um, third parties. You mentioned grandparents. Do you know how, how are third parties involved in custody actions? So again, this has been an incredible change in the last forty years. In all states, there's a presumption that parents should have custody of their children. Historically, for a non-parent, a grandparent who's been taking care of a child, a sibling, to get custody they would have to prove that the parent had abandoned or deserted the child or that they were unfit. Those were very high standards. As the traditional nuclear family has become the minority of the types of families, now we have blended families, restructured families, single parent families, um, there are more and more third-party non-parent caregivers and they are seeking custody more and more often. As that has happened, the courts have added new tests, and I, I don't have time to go through them, which would take about 10 minutes. But bottom line is third parties are getting custody more often, and there are more avenues than before for third parties to get custody. Now, it's not just an even um, – the judge doesn't say, oh, of the parents or the grandparents, who would be the best custodian? There still has to be some unusual circumstance. 
Uh, but it, it is changing. Also, I would add grandparents in all states um, have statutory rights to visitation under certain circumstances if they um, if they have lost their child has lost custody or died or if their child won't let them see their grandchild they may be able to get visitation <clears throat> and some states make that available to other parties other non-parents mississippi just limits it to grandparents yeah well, it's not and that i mean that's a big change and what about um you mentioned you mentioned uh non-marital children that is also a big change. So, how, you know, when people aren't married, how do how are all these issues resolved for, for non-couple, non-married couple? So, one of the things I, I tell my class when I teach this is, at one time, marital status had a lot to do with the how how custody was decided. If a child was born out of marriage, the custody might be different. the The mother might keep custody. The child might have fewer rights to child support. I, I always say now, custody and child support have been unlinked from marriage. The rules regarding non-marital children are just the same as the rules regarding marital children. When you're talking about custody, third-party custody, domestic violence, presumption, and child support. And we never got to, to child support uh, in this hour, but uh, maybe we can do that in a, a future uh, session. Or Liz could ask uh, Dr. Buttress just to hold on for a few minutes and cede some of her time, and we'll just keep going. But I don't think <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, right. That's yeah. that's not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, no, this is great, Debbie. And we, you know, um, I, I think this is such important information. Just, do we have any kind of mandatory counseling for families getting divorced uh, involving no. children? No. Um, I know there are some groups, and I, and I don't have that information with me right now, but who provide parenting classes. And I would strongly recommend that anyone, it, best parents in the world, divorce is a difficult time. It's hard to navigate. And you can get some tips in these parenting classes on things you can do to ease the stress on your children. And I would highly recommend that anyone getting divorced contact a counselor to talk with them about how to make the the transition as least stressful as possible for their children and to consider uh, taking a parenting class. Well, Dr. Buttress is looking through the window, wanting to run in, so we can't give take any more of her time. Thank you, Debbie Bell. And since the law has not changed yet, our past podcasts are still correct, and we hope that if you'd like more information, you can go back to some of our fat past family law podcasts, which I'll have the links on later. So thank you, Professor Deborah Bell. That's going to wrap up today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Java Chapman and Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.